a longtime pastor in the Church of the Nazarene, and when he was serving at College Church of the Nazarene in Olathe, Kansas, he was elected general superintendent. And he served in that role for 12 years and just retired uh, a couple of years ago. Would you make Dr. Warwick and Patty feel welcome this morning as he comes up to preach? Well, it's a wonderful privilege to be back in Flint, Michigan. We were here several years ago for two district assemblies. And um, I'd rather be here for Sunday morning than a district assembly. I don't tell anybody I said that, but um, it is nice to be with you. Nice to be with Pastor and Carla, and we appreciate their friendship. And Patty and I have been praying for this time together for quite a while. It's been on the books for a little bit of a time. And as we've drawn closer to the date, we've been praying more earnestly. Uh, I've been in the church all my life grew up in the church. I don't ever remember a day in my conscious life that I did not want to love God. I was saved very early in life, not saying I lived a perfect life or a sinless life, but all the years of growing up, I don't ever remember a day when I really did not want to love God and did my best uh, over the years to follow him. Been in lots of revivals, Uh, Lots of camps. Um, My observation as a pastor in revivals is that in every revival, numbers of people make decisions. Some of them make decisions at the altar. Some of them make decisions where they're standing or sitting. But um, this sounds pessimistic. I think I'm being realistic. Most of the people who make a decision in a revival service, every Every now and then, they just slip back into their accustomed life. Not a bad life, just a comfortable life. And we get enthused and blessed and take a step forward, and then uh, we keep that in our hearts generally. We don't share too much in the church today. And over time, we we just kind of get back in our comfort zone. Everybody has a, a spiritual comfort zone if we've been in the church very long at all, a place where we're relatively comfortable and feel somewhat secure. Um, I'm I'm probably guilty of that a time or two myself. I went to a revival on on December the 10th, 2017. Now this is after over 50 years of public ministry in the Church of the Nazarene with official assignments. I attended revival at our church in Olathe, Kansas. Uh, like most people come to revival, not, expect, not expecting a lot to happen, just a little bit to happen. And I, I kind of came that way. I didn't have my guard up. I should have, but I didn't. And uh, the evangelist preached, I'd say, uh, maybe a C plus or a B minus sermon, which may be better than anything you get this week. But it was, uh, it was a good message, and it touched my heart. And then he gave a rather strange invitation He talked about more in the service, and his invitation was, if you would like more of God in your life, or maybe if God would like more uh, of you available for him, uh, just invite you to come and stand at at the altar. Well, I, as I said, I don't ever remember a day when I didn't want to love God, so I love him more today than I ever have. And I, I went. I didn't expect, I'm just being honest now. I really didn't expect anything to happen. How many times have we come and stood at the altar about something 
and, and gone away unscathed, okay? Not injured in any way. But God met me at that altar on December the 10th, 2017. And he said, I want more of you. And I want to put more of myself in you. And began to deal with me standing there that Sunday about my life. Um, I thought I had everything pretty well put together. I was a follower of Christ. But God called me out on that day. And I've never been the same since that day. How long has it been? Well, I, I had this sign I read years ago. And it said, when was the last time you did something for the first time? Well, I was in my late 60s at the time. And when you get that age, you're not prone to do things for the first time. And I realized it had been a long time since I'd done anything for the first time. So I bought rollerblades. Found them in a thrift shop in Wisconsin. Um, And I, I knew it was of God because they were my size. And they were laying on an old church pew. How, how much better could it be than that? My size on a church pew. I'm a preacher. These are for me. And um, I went in to buy them. And the lady said, I will not sell you. You cannot buy the rollerblades. We take no responsibility for the rollerblades. They've never been inspected. We don't know anything about them. If you want them, you can have them. You're not buying them. I'm not selling them to you. Do you understand that? And I said, yes, ma'am. I understand that. And then she added, but if you want to make a donation, you can. <laughs> so I made a donation and I took the rollerblades. First time in my life I'd ever, I'd ever owned rollerblades. And I put them on and I stood up in them. But Patty insists that I not really skate in them until we get more insurance. So I, I've, not yet, I've not yet done it. My kids said, Dad, you need to get elbow pads and knee pads and a helmet. And, and I was telling this story in one church and a little girl came to me after the service. She said, you know, you could, you could use a walker to learn to rollerblade. <laughs> and it kind of hurt my feelings. But then I, I, I heard that that's what they use. They use walkers to teach people to ice skate, and roller skate, and rollerblade. And we have her mother's old walker in the basement. So now I'm ready to go. When, when was the last time you did something? When was the last time you came to church and left forever different? I'm not just talking about the day you got saved. Thank God for that. Or the day you yielded your life to the infilling of the Holy Spirit. But when was the last time in your journey with Christ, you came into church and you met God in such an unusually powerful way that you took a huge step in his direction and you could never go back? You just could never go back. I think one of the fears we have is that God is going to call us out to a place from where we can never get back. And that's what God has done to me. Over the afternoon, he gave me three scriptures and three words. And I want to talk about two of those scriptures and two of those words this morning. And this is a two-part sermon. I have to finish it up tonight. So I'll talk about the other one tonight. But the first scripture is in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. 
And the word that he finally formed, I believe he formed it in my mind. I, I believe in a God who speaks, okay? I don't know if you believe in a God like that, but I believe in a God who speaks into our lives in language that each one of us can understand and gives us thoughts and ideas from his word that, that impact the way we live. And the first scripture, Ephesians 3, uh, 20 through 21 now to him who is able to do far more abundantly, or the, the NIV says immeasurably more, and I like that better, immeasurably more than we could ask or think or imagine or dream according to his power that's already at work within us, to him be glory both in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. He really wanted to stress that eternal glory that goes to God. And, and the Lord said to me that morning and throughout that day, I want you to think better of me than you've been thinking. I want you to think better of me. I want you to think greater thoughts of me. I want you to believe greater things from me. I want you to anticipate that I'm a God who can and will do immeasurably more. I read a, a little statement from a guy by the name of Donald McCullough, who at the time was president of San Francisco Theological Seminary. And he said this, he said, visit a church on Sunday morning. Almost any will do. And you'll likely find a congregation comfortably relating to a deity who fits nicely within precise doctrinal positions or who lends almighty support to social crusades or who conforms to individual spiritual experiences but you'll not likely find much awe or sense of mystery. The only sweaty palms will be those of the preacher, unsure whether the sermon will go over, and the shaky knees of the, the soloist about to sing the offertory. The New Testament warns us, offer to God an acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for indeed our God is a consuming fire. But reverence and awe have often been replaced by a yawn of familiarity. The consuming fire has been domesticated into a candle flame, adding a bit of religious atmosphere perhaps, but no heat, no blinding light, no power for purification. When the true story gets told, whether in the partial light of historical perspective or in the perfect light of eternity, it may well be revealed that the worst sin of the church at the end of the 20th century, and I would say into the 21st century, has been and is the trivialization of God. The trivialization of God. We prefer the illusion of a safer deity. And so we have pared God down to more manageable proportions. Our era has no exclusive claim on this, for it's been the sin of the church throughout the ages. Reducing God, making God more manageable. Uh, I, I would say to you today, God probably wouldn't join the church of the Nazarene. Uh, we probably have some things that he might not agree with, not, not essential doctrinal things, but practical things that, that we've got. He probably wouldn't join any denomination. He transcends all of that. We've, we've tried to housebreak God and make him obedient to what we like to do and how we like to feel. And God is longing for us to come and release him in our lives and in our hearts and take the risk 
to begin to follow a very dangerous God. God is not safe. He's not manageable. We can't housebreak him. We cannot domesticate him. And God said to me that day, stop trying to manage me and let me manage you. Let me take charge. Stop trying to put me in your, your Nazarene box. Stop trying to put me in the box that you formed for me growing up. Just stop doing that and release me in your life. And since that morning, that's what I've been trying to do, is to release God in my life and in my heart. I, I want to pray bigger prayers than I've ever prayed before. I want to speak the name of Jesus over conflict and brokenness and sickness and despair and heartache with greater authority and power than I ever have and greater confidence that speaking the name of Jesus actually makes a difference when we do so. Yeah, now, you, you, you may think I'm getting a little too Pentecostal and I just say get over it. We, we, we need to take authority. We were in a prime time with Guy Penrod. Some of you had heard him. You just had the Gaither vocal band here, I think. Well, he used to sing with them. And during the, it was like a worship day. It was a wonderful day, wonderful spirit. But, but he said to us, he said, he said, stop letting the devil steal things from us. In the name of Jesus, tell him he can't have our children. You can't have our marriage. You can't have our church. You can't have our country. You have no right. You're a thief. You have no right to be here. You cannot be here. In Jesus' name, you cannot be here. We serve a God who is greater than all the powers of evil that are arrayed against us. And there's too much hand-wringing in the church today. We are the victors. We're not the victims. We're the overcomers. We're not the overcome. We are those who know the end of the story. Let us live like that and lean into this God who knows more and does more than we could ever imagine or hope to happen. For 12 years, I prayed with a man every Friday, every Saturday, every Sunday morning, uh, and his Friday prayers were the ones that really struck me. Uh, and, and he was just a handy man. I don't mean that in a pejorative way, but he wasn't trained. I mean, I, I'm, I was, I'm somewhat trained theologically, so I knew better than what he... He was praying that God would open Turkey and Israel and Saudi Arabia and Iran and Iraq to the gospel. Well, you know, I knew that God wasn't involved in geopolitical things anymore. That they, they were beyond his reach. But one day in Sydney, Australia, I had the privilege of ordaining the wife of our pastor from Iraq who barely escaped that country with his life. I ordained her into the ministry and I took my picture with her and I sent it to John Tater's family and I said, your daddy's prayers are being answered. The walls are coming down. And I want you to know all across Northern Africa today, 
the Church of the Nazarene has people going into those countries, and we're making contact with individuals, and the church is coming alive in those countries. God is at work all around the world. The God of immeasurably more. We believe in that sort of thing, don't we? It's time we stepped into it personally and risked our lives in the hands of this God of immeasurably more. Amen. I get excited talking about it. I wish I had time to tell you the way God has answered prayer in our lives as a couple and in the lives of our family. Part of our family coming back to Christ after years away from Christ and reconciliation and healing and, and moving in ways and areas where there was no way for something good to happen and, and leaning into the promise of God and believing the promise of God. How long has it been since you claimed a promise from the word of God and stood on it with authority and leaned into it even the dark of night and said, I will trust God. No matter what the, what the circumstances say, I will trust God. The God of immeasurably more. Wow. And the second verse it really uh, surprised me. It's Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be satisfied, or they will be filled, or as the message puts it, they will get their fill of it. I like the sound of that. Have you ever said, I've had about all this I can take? Have you ever said that about righteousness? <laughs> I've had about all this I can take. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst. And the word that God gave me here is appetite. Appetite. And the question that I had to ask myself and that I have to ask you this morning is what kind of appetite do you have for conversation with God, for the word of God, for the people of God, for the work of God? What kind of appetite do you have? I know we have many children off in other parts of the building. And if one of those children stopped eating... The parents would pay attention to it for maybe a half a day or a day. If they continued not to have an appetite, they'd call the pediatrician, and he, he or she might suggest some things, and they'd try it. But if that didn't work, pretty soon, this little child would be in an emergency room somewhere trying to find out, why does this child not have an appetite? Because living, growing things have an appetite. Is that right? Living, growing things have an appetite. They hunger and thirst. They yearn for, they long for. Which leads me to say that if we're following Christ, that we have a hunger and thirst for Christ, for conversation with Christ, for the word of God, for the people of God, for the practices of faith, there's something within us that longs for and calls for and craves for. Have you said to your, ever said to your husband, wife, friend, neighbor, boy, I'd like some Chick-fil-A ice cream today. Well, you can't get it today, so get over that. But, uh, or or I'd, I'd like some Mexican food today. 
Or I'd like a big juicy steak today. Boy, I'm, I just, I'm hungry for that. Or I'd like some fruit today. Well, that indicates that you're healthy in a way. You have an appetite. I can take you to any cemetery in this area, and there are no catering trucks out there any day of the week because there's nobody out there hungry. I do have a friend who goes to a potluck at a local cemetery every year. Isn't that odd? And I asked him, I said, why do you go to a potluck at a cemetery? It looks like there'd be a better place. He said, well, I'm going to be laying out there with those people. I need to know who my neighbors are going to be. So <laughs> I guess there's a reason sometimes to do that sort of thing. You're the only person that knows what kind of appetite you have. You're the only one. Nobody else knows. Not even your spouse knows. They may have a hint and an inclination, but they don't really know. So what kind of appetite do you have for prayer? What kind of appetite do you have for reading the Word of God? What kind of appetite do you have for being in the place where God's people gather to worship? What kind of appetite do you have for the things that interest God? You may say, I have a raving, roaring appetite, and I say hallelujah to that. You may say, my appetite's not, not so good. Well, I'd say you, one of three things is happening in your life. You're either sick, or you're dying, or you're already dead. There aren't any other choices. You're either unhealthy, or you're at the point of spiritual death, or you've already died spiritually. Several years ago in our church, we, we had an emphasis called God First. It wasn't just a little bit of an emphasis. It was, it was kind of a way of life for several years. And it went on. I, I don't know how long. It, it just went on. It had a life of its own. And while we were doing that, our, our uh, executive pastor came up with this idea. He said, God as my first thought of the day and God as my first conversation of the day and God as my first read of the day. And I've been trying to put that in practice. So in the morning, I sometimes wake up a long time before Patty does. And if I get up, it wakes her up. So a lot of times I'll lie in bed and, and, and I, I try, I honestly just try to say in my mind, good morning, Lord. Not good Lord, it's morning, but good morning, Lord. And then I begin to open my heart to him. And I think about him. And then I, I start moving through my prayer list, just starting at the top and moving down. I can't remember it all. I've got it segmented out into different days. But I, I want to train myself. I want to keep training myself that God would be my first thought of the day that he would be my first conversation of the day and the first read of the day. Putting God first, appetite.
So what kind of appetite do you have? Now tonight, I want to talk to you about the last word, which is capacity, and it comes from Philippians chapter 1, and I won't read that scripture this morning. But I want to deal with that tonight, which is really the pathway to more. So the question that I... The question that I want to ask you this morning is, what if God has more for you? Well, you say, I've been a Christian a long time. I'd been a Christian for a long time. I'd been in ministry for a long time. I really never expected God to take me up on that. I suppose I would have gone forward if I'd thought he would, but I I would have thought a little more about it before I went if I thought he was actually going to, because so often we go through motions as if something might happen, but not really expecting it to happen. And then when it does, we, we kind of step back and, well, I didn't, I didn't know you were going to do that. I had no idea. What if God has more for you? Would you want that? What if God wants more of you? Are you willing to do that? Our pastor's praying that this would be one of the greatest weeks in the history of this great church. It won't be unless those of us in this room this morning declare, I do want more of God. And I do want everything that God has for me. Everything, whatever it costs me, I want that. I want to be open to that. I'll discover that. I'll learn that. I'll follow after that. That's the only way for great revival to sweep again through the life of a congregation and the life of a church. Some of you may be thinking, boy, I wish my sister were here today. She really needs to hear this. Or I wish my wife had come today, or my husband, or wish my, wish my children who are away from God, well, that the sermon's not for them, it's for us, it's for those of us who are here. What if God, what if God has more for you? More to give you, more to call you to do, more to place within you. What if, what if? I believe in a God like that, I really do. And I'm praying that for you, I'm praying that for this church. And that this week will be in our lives a time to pursue that more of God and learn what that means. Amen, I hope to see you tonight for part two. It's not any better, but it's not any worse. So I encourage you to come back, thank you.